Welcome to the Playbook for Results, getting a grip on growing your business podcast. If you're looking for coaching and content proven to get you and your team to the top of their game, you've come to the right place. Grab your team or huddle with them after the podcast and get ready for your host and his invited guests to get you out of your comfort zone and into the growth zone. And now, here is your host, Edward Preston, VP of Revenue Creation, and Cesar Cavadoy, CEO of Playbook for Results. All right, get ready to be informed and transformed by your virtual coaching and value creation specialists as they set the stage for you to perform at the top of your game. Greetings to all, and thank you for joining us today on the PB4R podcast, also known as Getting a Grip on Growing Your Business. My name is Edward Preston, aka EP, and joining me today, riding shotgun, is a man of mystery and fame. He put the Indy in Indiana and the Jones in the Temple of Huff Glory International. He is an artist, a sales artist, that is. He is a family man, a man of worship, but most of all, he is a man of both knowledge and power when it comes to the art of sales. They don't make coffee beans strong enough for this proven closer. Ladies and gentlemen, sitting alongside me today is the one, the only Mr. Kevin Huff. Kevin, how you doing? EP, I'm wonderful. Thank you for the overboard introduction, but I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong. I want to tell you that I don't get to normally ride shotgun. I usually yell at just a few seconds after Caesar, so I'm I'm uh, excited to finally get in with you guys. Well, hey, you're not sitting in the back seat. And we all know we, we all have a backseat driver in our lives, so nice to have you up front here with me today. You bet. Thank you. Awesome, man. It's a, it's a great view. We got a great topic on the table. We're actually going to take uh, all the listeners today through a journey, a journey to the top. What does that journey look like to get to the top of your game? And what is that journey all about once you reach the top? How do you stay at the top? That's another challenge in itself. And uh, we're going to get a grip on reality here. And, and we're going to talk about business. And there's no better place to do it right here than getting a grip on growing your business. So allow me to set the table for today's show. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time you took some quality time to work on your business as opposed to a majority of the time when you are spending time in your business? So again, working on your business. And when I'm talking about on your business, I'm talking about what three of the top things that are on the minds of executive leaders, like our guest today that I'll introduce in a minute. We're talking about the strategy. We're talking about your people, managing your people, managing your group. And then third one is is executing. So you're talking about the strategy, building a plan. Are you on plan? Whether that plan is building your business with regards to the people in the business units, building the uh, the customer base, pipeline lead generation. There's all sorts of different parts of that strategy for your go-to market. Then do you have the right people in place? Are those people helping you get to that plan? Are those people dragging you down? What do you need to do to drag them forward or pull them forward? And then the last one is executing. So how do you go about making sure that you're on pace and having all three of those on board to actually, again, work on your business? So the million dollar question here is how much do you spend on sales and or business strategy? And how much time do you invest in your sales team? And how much time and energy do you spend executing a game plan or a playbook, assuming you actually have one? Well, today, Kevin and I have invited a very special guest to our show that is very well in tune with his business, his actual business strategy, the people that he manages and the playbook that he actually runs. You will hear today that none of this is by accident, yet just the opposite. He is where he is today, which is at the top of his game, purely by design and the dedication that he has put in place. He is the co-founder and CEO with Peak View, a strategic consultant firm 
based out of Greenwich Village, Colorado. Not only is our guest a hunter of wild prey, but he and his team of sales professionals also enjoy hunting for new business opportunities. Let's welcome to our show today, Mr. Ken Smith. Ken, hello. EP, how are you today? Appreciate I'm doing great. You and, uh, and Kevin, I'm uh, impressed that you were able to read the intro that he provided you on himself. That was good. <laughs> nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I rolled off the lips pretty easy. Kevin is a man of, uh, of mystery. He's, uh, he's good at his game. And so are you, Ken. And we're really excited. I know when we talked about doing this podcast and uh, putting this episode together, uh, this is one that Kevin really, was really excited about. So we're going to get into that. But before we do... Tell us a little bit about Peak View. Let's everybody kind of learn what it is that you're actually doing today and, and how you are associated to that organization. Yeah, no, thank you. Peak View, we're six and a half years in the business right now. Two founders, myself and another gentleman who have has worked with me over the past probably eight years prior to starting this company. So I had a good sense for who he is, how he operated, and kind of his level of expertise. And at the core, what we do is we help enterprises migrate their infrastructure into the cloud with a particular area of specialty in contact center and cloud contact center specifically. So this is a, a you know, quickly growing vertical and has accelerated certainly with everything that's happening with the global pandemic going on, forcing more and more people to work remote and uh, migrating that technology in the cloud. And so that's fundamentally what we do. And it's been a good six and a half year run at this point in time. Well, I'll tell you what, WFH, right? Work from home. It's interesting. You know, if we do the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, as they say, you and I probably have a lot of close degrees because uh, as Definitely uh, have some probably similar contacts that you have since uh, I'm in the cloud space as well. And I'll tell you what, the pandemic, uh, you know, there's there's silver linings, believe it or not, out there. You, you obviously know what I'm talking about in terms of business. You're, I think, uh, in what I would call a recession-proof business right now. Just look at Amazon, uh, look at Microsoft. You know, for people out there, and this is probably a whole other podcast episode in itself, but. Cloud migration, as you just said, everybody's moving there. Think about it. Everybody that has their employees, their sales teams. I mean, let's bring it back full circle into sales. Everybody right now on the on the planet, Ken, is an inside sales rep. <laughs> There's nobody out in the field. So if you were a field person before, a field professional, you're trying to kind of reinvent yourself or going back and playing, you know, or using playbooks that you used to have. You can't rely on being um, in front of somebody breaking bread. And now you're finding yourself uh, having to do what we're doing right now, which is looking at each other through a virtual conference. And so, you know, what's your take on that? Are you finding that you're, you know, as soon as work from home hit, are you finding some of your team members were struggling a little bit or was there already kind of a play in, in place where maybe it didn't even affect you? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good observation. You can stumble a little bit when you have the luxury of sitting across the desk with somebody, but moving virtually, in my opinion, it, it's forced everybody to up their game. First, you've got to keep, you know how tough it is to keep an attentive audience when you're, when it's easy to overlap. And so I think it's driven people to be more succinct and, um, you know, relevant and keeping the conversation moving forward versus a lot of the kind of the lulls and the and the kind of the crutch of of, of being right there in person with somebody. So I really I do think it's improved people's ability to or force people to get better at what they do. Fortunately, as we're a cloud company, it, it it'd be it'd be bad PR for us if we had a hard time transitioning to a remote work environment. So we have 
done that. Matter of fact, we transitioned to that before any mandates came down, just because we had already been doing that probably a 50% model to that point in time. So yeah, but it has certainly accelerated the business. It's uh, certainly a less than ideal way to get to this point where the business accelerates, but large companies have definitely brought forward their plans to migrate away from kind of clunky premise-based brick and mortar models to uh, a working remote model. And it's it's definitely been a benefit to us and certainly I think a longer term as well as short-term benefit to our clients. Yeah, cloud is here to stay, it's not going away. Let, let's rewind the clock back a decade or two. Kevin, talk to us about how your world collided with Ken. What year was it that you guys actually first met and who called who? Was it maybe a reference or do you guys work together or you had some network? Bring us into, into the fold on that, please. Yeah, EP, happy to answer that. Ken and I have kind of an interwoven business life together. It was a, a, almost 20 years ago, it was 2002. I took an opportunity to leave Quest Communications where Ken ended back up and where I ended up re-engaging with Ken at a later time. I didn't know him when I left Quest, but I went to Broadwing. And at Broadwing, uh, I was in charge of the voice product there, and Ken happened to be already running what we called a voice home run team. There were some problems in the network, and so here's, here's this leader at the organization. He's running this team, and because I get moved into this voice you know, manager position, I instantly have to meet Ken and work with him in this group, right? I mean, and we just clicked right away. Uh, Ken was actually running a sales organization. It just happens to be that he was given this lead on, on this home run team because of really the challenges these guys were facing out in the field. And so we spent this time together. The next thing you know, maybe it's six months down the road and Ken's got sales organizations and I'm able to get in front of those sales organizations, continuing to help build the bond between Ken and I in terms of our approach to business, which was very, very, very similar. And then sort of fast forward to what I'll call uh, the end of Broadwing when Broadwing was was beginning to figure out how to sell itself and and move on with this uh, the business in a different manner. You know, Ken and I had an opportunity to uh, to work together and what I, I wouldn't call it working together. I always pick on Ken for this because he kind of kind of just threw me out there to the wolves, but I'm going to go and tell the story real quick. Um, he goes, Kevin, I, I'm in Austin. That's where we headquartered out of. And um, he says, I need you to do me a favor. We got to let some people go in Denver. Can you handle that for me? And I'm, you know, of course, I'm going to do that for you, Ken. So I, I buzz down to the office and I get the list of people he wants me to let go. And one of them, I won't share his name here, obviously, but one of them is a guy I had already let go at two other companies prior so I felt like a complete tool. I'm like, like, the, I'm like the walking grim reaper for this guy. Uh, so I called Ken. I'm like, is there any way anyone else can do this? He's like, man, I'm sorry. You're my only guy in town. You know, that's how our relationship kind of got started was that first year at Broadwing. I'll leave it at that. But I'm picturing, I'm picturing, uh, uh, Ken, like, and don't take any offense to this, but it's like Princess Leia with the, uh, the Luke Skywalker message coming out of R2D2. You're my only hope. Yeah, yeah. Kevin, no. that was his Come only guy. Down. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know what, though, um, because of the things that I, I did for Ken, and I know that Ken very much respects loyalty and things like that from his from his team, you know, our, our relationship was able to continue to grow from there. So I think that's probably what you're looking for from me. Well, let's talk about that. Ken, talk to us, uh, and I'm sure Kevin's got these numbers because he's like a walking calculator. Uh, help us out. Ken, I'll let you take it first. How did, how did Kevin and uh, his professional coaching program positively or negatively uh, impact uh, at the at the front? Was it positive out of the gate? What kind of performance are we talking about? Like a, a year over year, any kind of a rev rec number that, that you can maybe reference for us? Yeah, you bet. You know, it's, it's funny how uh, relationships start and uh, 
you know, some of the better ones are forged when, in difficult times. And certainly that's what it was with Kevin and I early on. We had a big problem to solve. And I'm not sure either one of us was an expert at the specific problem, but we were pretty darn good about how to analyze a problem and then carve it up into kind of executable portions. And so uh, it was really those early days that led me back to Kevin when I was uh, running sales at Quest. Mm -hmm. uh, I had taken on an underperforming organization, double-digit year-over-year decline in revenues. Sales were horrible. So not only were sales bad, but the ability to retain revenue was bad. And uh, I replaced somebody who uh, you know had struggled in that role for a number of years. And so right away, I said, you know, the one thing I'm going to do is look at this differently. And to do that, I need to align with, with people who share that same approach and philosophy of let's look at this differently and take the time to be thoughtful and creative in how we solve for it. And, and if there's two words that I use to describe Kevin, it's thoughtful and creative. And so I reached out to him and said, listen, I'm, I'm stepping into an organization that needs some help. Uh, the worst thing I can do is continue down the same path that it's been on. I'm going to carve out a smaller group and have you get involved and see what type of results you can deliver. And so I carved out uh, one of my organizations in Utah. It was an inside sales group. Aligned Kevin there, and I said, here's the current state data around success of bookings, appointments, sales, revenue. So we kind of created this list of measurables, mm -hmm. and I gave it to him and said, take this, consume it, build a training plan around it, and let's start in Salt Lake and uh, have at it. And so from there, I mean, I will summarize at the high level that he engaged, I thought did a fantastic job. The results were very obvious, not only to me, but to others within the organization, and probably more importantly to the salespeople, finally seeing some results and, and benefits of the, sure. of the things that they were asked to do in a new training model. And I'm sure Kevin, has those uh, statistics locked in his brain. So I'm sure he could share them as well. But I know they were certainly strong double-digit uh, returns on that. And Ken, you had nothing to lose and everything to gain. I mean, th let's just break down what you just said there. You, you took it upon yourself to look at your group from top down in terms of performance. And you took the lower performing sales reps for whatever reason. Uh, I'm sure that each one of those sales reps would give you a different explanation. As, as we sales reps do and said, okay, let's see what you can do with this. And, you know, here's the parameters here, are the, here's what I'm looking for and absorb this and Kevin, take us from there. Well, I remember Ken saying specifically, I'm looking for somebody to crack the code on what's happening with that team. So as you mentioned, he carved out a group for us to work with. And the first team was in Salt Lake. Um, he really gave me three teams to work with. The next two teams were in Denver. And these were, these were teams that were part of a, you know, a larger overall organization in each of those locations. And I had about a three to four week period between the first group in Salt Lake and then the next two, which were back-to-back -back weeks in Denver. So I'm, I'm literally in the, the Salt Lake class, and I have two stories that just kill me from there. One is that we let go of the manager right in the middle of the week. I mean, that's how, that's how bad this team was. Literally, it was his worst performing team. And I mean, if you're going to give somebody an opportunity to, to prove their, their worth, right, you put them in front of the worst, if they can do something with that, what can they do with your best performing team, right? So, I mean, the manager gets slipped, go in the middle. Uh, the first day, one of these reps comes in about a half an hour late, just kicks his feet up on the table, crosses him, leans his head back, and, and, and acts like he's sound asleep. And I'm like <laughs> looking around the room, and, there's, and nobody's, nobody's acting as if anything has happened. And I'm like, 
I'm thinking, am I having an out-of-body experience? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Ken didn't tell me anything about this kind of behavior. I just thought these guys sucked in sales. But, but to wrap that story up, we get about an hour, hour and a half in. I'm going through some really critical uh, material that, that helps set the stage for these reps to be successful with the people they're calling. And it's literally about discussing what's on the customer's mind, right? And all of a sudden, this, this kid who I think is you know, out cold in this chair just pops up and goes, you mean to tell me if I go do you know, blank, 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 that's going to work? I'm like, well, yeah, of course it is. He just goes, whatever. And he gets up and walks out of the room. And I look back at the manager. I'm like, nothing? And there's nothing from the manager. Wow. I just keep going, EP. And about 10 minutes later, he walks back in the room. He plops down his chair. He throws a notepad and a pen in front of him. And he just looks at me. And I'm like, what's up? He goes, I just went out and did what you told me. And I got the lady on the phone. And she said, yes. His last question was uh, something along the lines of, you know, are you struggling with the same thing? And she goes, yes. And he goes, Okay, I'll get back to you. And he goes, I hung up the phone. I came in here and forgot what I've got to say next. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Like live results on the fly. Yeah, on the fly. The whole team was like, I guess we better pay attention because he was definitely the leader of the team. You know, no one, no one ruffled his feathers in any way, shape, or form. Um, so now fast forward to a month later, I'm in Denver. I'm working with the first team in Denver, so my second team overall. And I get a call during the middle of the class from Ken saying, hey, pop up to my office, which, you know, it's, it's either good or bad. I've told the story about our previous you, guest, Susan, before. Yeah, you're being right? called into the principal's right, office. Okay, right. go ahead. Gonna be good or bad. <laughs> he goes there and he goes, hey, I don't know what you did with that team in Salt Lake, but they pretty much went from worst to first in the last month. So, you know, you can have all my teams here. I said, great, let's, awesome. let's get this rolling. So now uh, one more week later, he calls me back up to his office during the third week. And again, uh, I'm thinking I'm pretty still new at this. So uh, again, I'm like, why am I going to the principal's office? Or am I going to Ken's office? And I get up there and he goes, Hey, here's what I need you to do. I, I set up a meeting for you with the training organization. I need you to meet with the senior manager and the director of training. Um, they're pretty much in a room waiting for you downstairs. I need you to go in there right now and tell them what you did to fix things at, you know, XYZ company, a place I'd been previously. I said, all right. So I buzzed down to that room and I, I, just walk in. I say, hi, introduce myself to the gentleman. I already knew the lady and I grab a marker and I just start going to the whiteboard and I'm going after it. I'm like, this is this, and this is that, and this is the other. And here's why we're awesome. And uh, at least that's probably how it felt to them. And about 10, 15 minutes in, she goes, uh, why are you trying to tell us how to run our business? And I thought, oh crap. This is yeah. like me firing that guy for the third time way yeah. back when, you know, right. so Ken's, Ken's got me in a good spot here. He's I'm doing his, I'm doing his dirty work, so to speak. But, uh, you know, it, it turned out great. Um, he helped move that organization into better opportunities in their life. We took over that new hire training for Ken. And, and since you asked about results, I'll give you the net, yeah. which is we ended up providing Ken a 94% increase in sales during the first three months on the job from his new hires. So we Whoa. measured that over about a year and a half period. And okay. when we went back and said, okay, what did they do differently in the first three months and compared to the people that were training them before? And it was 93.9% improvement in sales in the first three months. That translated to a ton of money, right, over the lifetime of the contracts that Ken had in place. And obviously, it translated into us having a larger opportunity with his organization. Measurable outcomes. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. 94% increase in the first 90 days. Right. And That's you got to know, at that point, they now become yeah. the manager's responsibility, right? You can't, right. You can't afford to give right, them right, right. any credible. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's got to be all in. Obviously, Ken, you were in and that's huge. Uh, you know, without your, that's the first thing that you'll often hear Caesar and Kevin talking about inside of, um, you know, some of the videos and the first uh, introductory meetings is that, you know, you have to have a buy-in from the top. So Ken, obviously you were all in and, and that trickles down. Ken, what's the, what's the problem? Speaking of the top, 
What's the problem, Ken, with sales training as a, you know, coaching or training as a whole at a macro level from the top? What's, what's the problem with it? You know, I'm talking in generics, obviously. You know, I, I think it starts with relevance. So many companies, especially large organizations where I've spent the majority of my career until uh, starting this company, large organizations typically, you know, have these big convoluted in many regards training programs that it really, the approach is a check the box approach. It's not refreshed frequently enough. And so the first thing I would say where I think at the macro level where training falls short is people don't seek out and do the time in making the training relevant. And to do that, you've got to understand what problem it is you're trying to solve. Right. So I mean, relevance really ties directly to, all right, do I understand currently what is happening? And if I don't understand it, then I need to seek to understand it somehow. But once you get to that point, then you can build a training curriculum, if you will, that's relevant to the task at hand. So the first thing I think is relevance. I think the second thing is, is that it needs to be deployed in manageable tranches. Let's rewind a little bit. I didn't give Kevin training responsibility for my entire organization. Mm-hmm. I gave him training responsibility for one part of my organization for several reasons. I wanted to see how it worked. It's a nice small-scale test. I took a vastly underperforming group, so I think it would, it would give me immediate feedback because certain things that they needed to do provided absolutely immediate results. And so I, I could see in days and weeks that things were on a better path versus waiting six or 12 months. And so, again, I think the second part of that is deploying it in a thoughtful fashion that can be managed properly, consumed properly, you know, actioned properly, and measured. And once you kind of go through all that and you're confident in that, then you can drive it across to other parts of the organization. The other value is that you get a lot of energy right. from the group that you trained. Because I guarantee you, people in Utah were sharing stories of success. So when Kevin did expand in the other parts of the organization, mm-hmm. it's one thing to have Kevin walk in the room or me stand up in front of a, a, a crowd and say, this works, go and do it. And hearing a peer saying, man, this is what I've been able to do over the past few months. Pay attention to this training class. Spreads like a virus in a good way. <laughs> it spreads, right? That energy spreads so, so, from it, team to it, team. You're right. It, it absolutely does. And you've got to have that buy-in. You've got to have the, the people that can manage it. Listen, there's a lot of things happening in parallel to the training. You know, you've got to continue to refine the leadership that you have in place to make sure they're the right people to kind of action upon this and follow it. You've got to have ongoing training. You've got to measure it. So really, to me, at the macro level where companies fail is they don't consider the relevance. They don't consider a thoughtful plan and how to deploy it, and they don't measure it and then respond to that data properly. You know, I'm going to guess here, Kevin, you know, you probably didn't have too many bumps coming up against some of those, you know, phase two, phase three teams, because what Ken just described there, the buzz was already in the room going throughout the organization. Hey, this guy's great, man. We're actually, uh, you know, learning something new. Um, you know, you don't, I don't want to give out any names, Kevin, but did you, were you bumping heads with anybody? Maybe some of the, you know, older guys, uh, gals have been, you know, selling for a long time. Hey, you know, I don't need anything better. Look at my number. Are you kidding me? I mean, do I really have to do this? Ken? I mean, Kevin, did you experience any of that with this particular project? Yeah, I, I would say, let me kind of give you a two pronged answer to that. First and foremost, you know, Caesar and I spent the better part of the last decade being in front of organizations and 
I hate the term training them, but for lack of a better term right now, training them, uh, leading them through, you know, a process to help them get to the top of their game. And uh, we ask in just about every single workshop that we deliver, we say, hey, what have you heard? We want to know, what have you heard? And that feedback that we get from them right away lets us know where their heads are at. Have the other organizations in other towns been sharing with them this stuff? Have the people upstairs say anything to the people downstairs? And it gives us great insight. And then the second part of the answer I want to give you really is probably a more direct response to your question. That is this. Um, we actually love it when somebody's in a room with 25 years of sales experience because candidly, and I don't mean to slam anyone, but I'm going to speak candidly because that's how we do. If you've been in sales for 25 years and you're in the class that Ken put me in it, it, at that point in your career, then everything you've done to that point in your life has got you to that, that space. And you apparently haven't been doing it very well because yeah. you shouldn't be in uh, that type of a sales role 25 years in. All right? I'm not saying you should be leading sales organizations, but you should be selling at, at companies where you're making million or millions of dollars per year instead of making 50, 60, $70,000 per year. So there's no real credibility from somebody that comes in and goes, I've been doing this for 25 years. And they, and they go, yeah, but the person next to you just graduated college and also got the same job. But here's the really cool point, EP. Um, by the time the week is over, I, I literally cannot tell you how many times we heard this because it was over and over and over again. Those 25-year vets, you know what they said to Caesar and me? They said, I really wish somebody would have taught me this 25 years ago. Taught. Yep. No yep. school. I mean, think about this, Kevin. There's, I mean, Ken, guys, there's no uh, – sales is like lawyers. You know, sales professionals or sales reps, sales representatives are like lawyers. You guys know where I'm going with this? Man, we've yeah. got a lot of them out there. Wow, there's a lot of annoying ones out there. Wow, a lot of them are creepy and just like, come on, really? Yeah. Like, where did you go to school to learn what you do? The reality is in sales, you don't go to school. There's no, everybody and their mother says that, oh, I'm, I'm in sales. And there's so many different variations of it. But where did you learn how to do what you do? And, you know, it just goes to show how a guy like Ken, you're up at the top, you got this organization, you, you know, you're trying to make sure you maintain position. Here you are doing it right now with Peakview. You're in a, a, a gosh, a, a market that is just going bonkers right now in the cloud space. And, you know, you, you have to maintain and make sure that you have everybody that is uh, on point, sticking to the strategy. And there's a lot to be said about that. Ken, how much did your dedication in, in adopting a best-in-class system positively impact your bottom line? Like, we had some numbers that Kevin gave us just a little while ago. Um, to this day, is it, that, is it that important to have a best-in-class system to positively impact the bottom line going forward? Uh, I think the answer is obvious to everyone that, that, yes, it's incredibly important, not only to have it in place, but to have the right people in place to, to manage against that and to execute on the plan. I mean, you've, you've heard me say before, uh, I know Kevin has certainly, that, that kind of three things I, play, uh, I apply to anything that I kind of assess, and especially leadership. And that is, do I believe that the person understands the problem or the issue, right? So it doesn't always have to be a problem, but do, do I believe this person understands it? The second thing I look at is, do they have a plan to address it? And then the third thing I look at is, are they the right person to do so? Do they have the skill set to do that? And, and I think good training actually touches on those things. It helps people assess what the problem is, right? It's the realization. It's, it's the sales guy that sat in front of Kevin and said, I've been doing this 25 years. I don't need your help, right? 
But when he had the humility, and you know, I'll use that term, maybe it was a punch in the nose, but it, once, once he had humility to say, you know what, maybe there is something I don't know, which is the first step in understanding the problem. And then he goes out and, and actually tries it, right? And maybe, listen, he's got to have some skills. He's been in that job for that long. May not be the best skills, but some skills. So he goes out and tests the water with those skills and, and gets some results, right? So maybe that shows us whether or not they had the ability or not only to understand it, but then to, you know, build a plan about how to address it. So can I have a question for you? And this is just as a sales executive leader, when, when you are making a decision to join a new organization, so hypothetical, uh, Ken, uh, you're going to set uh, sail and start a new business or go join another business. Do you have a personal preference as a, as a sales leader to go join an organization that needs help, needs to be turned around, is underperforming. Do you like door number one or do you personally like going to door number two, which is an organization that is performing, hitting numbers, but needs to maintain its market uh, position? Do you have a personal preference? And this is not a a right or wrong or a good or bad. I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, which one of those two you have a preference for? Yeah, I would would say door number one, because if you think about door number two, you, you go into an organization and uh, that's already, things are going well, you don't get any credit for that. If it continues to go well, then that's the, your, your predecessors, you know, I, I guess, uh, credit. Uh, if things go bad, then you get all the blame. So I think not only is the downside pretty good in door number two, but the upside is very limited. And candidly, it's not very fun. Uh, nobody wants to step into a role and not be challenged with something. I, you know, my entire career, I've assumed organizations that have been at some level failing. And, uh, you know, the fun part of building organizations is going in there, you know, choosing door number one because of the growth it can bring to you, the things that you'll be able to learn and the lives you're going to be able to change. Because let's be honest, I think going in and turning an organization around, sure, if you want to look at it selfishly, it's, it's good for you and your career because you'll be able to show that you've done that and you can replicate that and do it again. But really, I think what you need to keep your eye on is that you're significantly impacting the lives of a lot of people you know, that they will have jobs that will be lasting, rewarding, profitable. And so, you know, certainly long, you know, that was a long answer, but the short answer is door number one all day. No, it's good. So Ken, as you were giving that answer, I was thinking about the last dance, you know, ESPN's 10 part series on Jordan, the bulls, and you got Phil Jackson, right? Phil Jackson comes in to the bulls and I can't remember the year. I want to say it was around 87. Check me on that. He came in and turned the organization around. I think it was actually later. It might have been 1990 when he came in. He comes in to an organization that's got strength, and it has numbers, and they're putting points up on the board, but they're not getting over They're not achieving. They're not achieving what their destination is, right? So Phil comes in and turns it around. And we, again, go back in the archive and check out the pod that Caesar and I did on that. And then he comes in and he does it again with the Lakers and turns the organization around. But the key, the key thing there, Ken, uh, Ken, is that, you know, you go into an organization that's got some strength there, there's some pieces. I think that's what I was hearing you saying, like, hey, can I come in, take the pieces that are here, you know, add some additional pieces. And then, you know, one of those pieces, here comes Kevin, you know, Kevin, you're one of those pieces. So, you know, so Kevin, help me out. What are some of the key components that a sales leader like Ken is looking for to maintain 
a position, you know, not so much getting to the top, but now he's up there. What are some of the key components that a company must understand in order to keep itself from not missing the mark? Well, EP, I don't know if that's a super loaded question or just a tough question. I, I think there's some very clear, uh, easy answers to it, but it, it might go a lot deeper than that. Um, I'm going to put it this way. I, I firmly believe that a leader that's going to write their own story, which is what Ken's alluding to, right? He doesn't want to finish someone else's story. He wants to write his own story, which I love about Ken. Um, a leader that's going to do that is going to have to have principles in place that are unwavering. And when they put those principles in place and they run their business based on those principles, now, of course, you want to have strong principles, principles that have proven you know, themselves over and over and over again that are really you know, principles that you could stake your business and your career on. But they put those principles in place, EP, and they live by them. And, and now you get a, someone who is trustworthy and reliable and uh, a loyal and you know, a team player, and also somebody who doesn't have to think very hard because they've already done the work to figure out right. what those principles are. And once those principles are in place, that's how they operate. So I think that's probably my, uh, my sort of deep side answer. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Ken, back to you. How do most sales organizations fail their sales staff? I'm obviously not talking about yours, so this is going to be really for some of your peers that are kind of like, hey, what's, what's Ken Smith doing over there? So help. this is your way, your opportunity to kind of spread some love out there and kind of talk in generalities without having to pick on any one particular company. But what's the overall sales uh, failure up at the top for their organization? What are they lacking? Well, I'll rephrase the question to, you know, what is it that, leaders need to guard against that negatively impact the people in their organization. Beautiful. Uh, Right. So I would say complacency. I I guarantee you at the end of every day, I I, I don't go home, pat myself on the back. I go home thinking, all right, what could I have done differently? Or what can I add tomorrow? Or maybe it's Things are going well, but how can I improve upon what it is? So I think, you know, leaders need to make sure that they themselves are not complacent in their efforts to to ensure that a continued education happens uh, across their organization. And that, that implies investment. And that investment is money. That investment is time. That investment is reward. So uh, again, I think it starts with don't be complacent with what you've seen. You can be better, you can get better, and so that should be your goal. And the other thing is to make sure that you continue to invest appropriately in the people that are tasked with driving those results. And that is building out compensation plans that make sense and drive the right behaviors, and as well as education and training. And again, training is always going to be morphing to address the changes in the market, changes in technology, changes in customer requirements. Because fundamentally, you know, I believe and always have that a cell is a byproduct of just managing a good process, you know, and, and success and making money is a byproduct of going in every day and following a plan and a script that proves to work. Love it. Kevin. I'm going to have one last question for you as we're getting close to closing down. Oh, this, time uh, for me to another, get out of the car, huh? <laughs> this is another great episode here on getting a grip. Kevin, you know, and you look back at uh, the, the beginning of the relationship that, you know, set up with Ken. I mean, we all know that networking is huge, but the impact that you had to, uh, you know, Ken's uh, organization back in the day and, and where things stand. I mean, this is great. It's a great story. You guys, you know, known each other, worked with, with each other for a long period of time, but Tell us a little bit about you know some stories. You don't have to give names out, but how has it helped your business, Kevin, in terms of you know the networking and 
the people that can is uh, open doors for you. And you know, that, that in itself is what everybody wants to talk about in sales. That's one of the secrets to success, at least for me is post-selling, you know, I'm in before I even get a deal with you. I want to talk about how we're going to be helping <laughs> each other out. So talk, talk to us about that you know, inertia that kind of came from the, the relationship that's set up back in the day and where it stands now? EP, that's a great question. And I, um, I got to tell you that Ken is, I can point back to Ken and say that uh, by far, he has been my number one contributor from a distribution network perspective, right? I, I, I can't be in two places at one time or 10 at one time. I'd like to be selling in 10 places at one time because I know my abilities and I feel like I would do extremely well but I can only be at one place at one time. And so, you know, when I launched my, my sales training company, uh, Caesar wasn't even involved yet. That's when Ken and I first met. So you can understand that Ken was one of my first clients. I knew that, you know, if we could get things going with him, he had a great network. So fast forward a few years and Ken moves to a new, a new company and another opportunity before he's even sitting at his office chair there, he calls me and says, Hey, this announcement will come out soon, but just want to give you a heads up. I'm now working for a new company. He's like, I want to get you in there and help us out as quickly as we can. I say, you know, that's fantastic, right? At that new company, I meet a couple of people that I help with their business. One of them's a sales VP, one of them's a sales director. And a year and a half later, the sales director's moved to a different company. And she calls me and says, hey, I need to get you in here at my new company. And then uh, about three years later, the VP moves on and says, hey, I'm at another company. I need to get you in my company. And I have multiple stories like that, but, but there's a snowball effect of doing the right thing with the right people at the right time. And, and then following through on everything that you're saying you're going to do, which is what I can confidently say we did with Ken. And we gave him phenomenal results at the second company that we worked with him at. And, and by the way, he has not held back to today in helping me. I asked him just last week, can you be a reference for me for a new company? He's like, yeah, I know those guys. I know the CEO. You want me to call him? I mean, that's Ken, and, and he's a phenomenal distribution network partner if I were to, to categorize him that way. But the truth of the matter is he's a phenomenal friend. I enjoy being with him. You mentioned earlier that he hunts. That's what we're looking forward to next. Is Probably the next time I'll see him is getting out in November and busting some birds together. So, you know, here comes a guy that I, I had to work with. Um, we clicked, uh, you know, from a business perspective. And, you know, two decades later, I count him uh, as a very good friend. That's awesome. Ken, what's your favorite prey that you put crosshairs on? Is it the quail? <laughs> it's got to be those Kansas pheasants, man. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Love yeah. it. For those of you uh, listening to the podcast, uh, we actually have a virtual uh, going on and I can see uh, Ken's background. He's got a river runs through it right behind him there. It makes me uh, think of uh, doing some fly fishing. Oh, yeah. One right of my favorite now. fly fishing rivers up off the Gunnison. So, yeah. Uh, what do you pull out of there? Some rainbow? Rainbows and browns. Yeah. Rainbows yeah. Water was a little skinny that, that year, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Well, good to hear that you're still making time for it. Cause it sounds like you are a busy critter with, uh, with your cloud business and great to hear that uh, business is going great for you. Uh, listen, 90 seconds left here on the play clock. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for helping me navigate through, uh, this great journey that we had today with, uh, Mr. Ken Smith. Ken, such a pleasure having you on the show today. We got to figure out another topic and throw one on the, on the uh, board uh, to do another one of these down the road. Where can people find you and your company or follow you and, terms of social media websites i'll give you an opportunity to do a quick plug there yeah you can find me on linkedin obviously and then our website is peakviewco.com certainly encourage everyone to look us up dig into our areas of expertise and uh listen i love meeting good people you know welcome the opportunity to uh 
see some new introductions. So thanks for the time today, EP. This has been uh, this has been a lot of fun. Kevin, always a pleasure to sync up with you, my friends. So uh, yeah, thanks, Ken. Same success. Way. Kevin, parting shots. Oh, well, I have to give up my seat to Caesar, and I just hope I didn't ruin my opportunity to ever be in it again. That's all I'll say. Hey, man, Caesar put some uh, lots of armor on, on that black yeah, yeah, on that black chair that you I'm might be slipping out. out of, so be careful. I'm sliding out. Yeah, no, you know what? <laughs> I don't, I don't need to be in this chair. Uh, you, I just want to commend what you guys have done in the previous podcast. I'm looking forward to the next one. And, and I, of course I can't wait to hear what this one comes out like. So thank yeah, you. Well, it's going to come out great, man. Ken, lots of great color that you provided there, details. And, uh, I know either, uh, you know, individual sales professionals or, or your peers leaders. Um, I think there's a lot of what I like to call gold nuggets that were able to be taken away from this today. So great, great job, gentlemen. Thank you so much. We hope you all enjoyed the discussion today. We're able to get a grip on what we are dishing out right here on getting a grip for growing your business. Stay tuned as we drop a new episode every Thursday. And for more information, check us out at PB4R. That's Playbook for Results, PB4R.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at EP Trend Research. That's at EP Trend Research. This is where you will find an archive of videos, podcasts, and other tools to help you stay on top of your game. Look for us also on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast, just do us a favor. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. All good things must come to an end, and that includes our show for today. Thank you so much for lending us your ears right here on getting a grip on growing your business. My name is EP, reminding you all, don't just do it, crush it. Thanks for listening to the Playbook for Results podcast. For more information on virtual content and coaching designed to grow your business, please visit the Playbook for Results website at pb4r.com. You can follow Playbook for Results on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook just by searching for Playbook for Results or hashtag PB4R. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Getting a Grip on Growing Your Business with your Playbook for Results coaches, your virtual coaching and value creation specialists.